we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. Man, um, as you know, we are um, in a series about the Holy Spirit. And so if you're brand new with us, this is kind of, is this week three or four? Can y'all remember? Anybody? It's week three. So it's week three uh, into the series on the Holy Spirit. So if you're brand new with us, that's kind of where we are. We're trying to figure out uh, what does the Bible have to say about who the Spirit of God is and, and what does He do in the life of the believer in the church. And um, so thank you so much for joining us if you're joining us for the very first time, whether in this space. Um, I think I recognize almost every face in here, even with a mask on. Um, but it could be that some of you are here for the first time, and we never want to take that for granted. Or you could be right at home uh, and brand new with us. And we're grateful that you have chosen to worship with us today. Uh, we count it a privilege. So if you would just honor us by letting us know that you're here, you can go to fbcsa.org connect, um, and you can do that right now, right on your phone or right on your computer, and connect with us that way, whether you're in the room or at home. We're glad to have you here. But let me just take a moment and just welcome you guys to worship. It is good that we're able to gather here and also able to gather all across the city. And I want to encourage you, especially those of you who are at home, uh, to stay engaged in worship. We hope when, when Ethan has invited you to open your mouths and sing that you're singing. And when Ethan has invited you to contemplate and think about the words that they're singing from the stage, that you're doing the same. We want you to know that even though we are far apart, some of us gathered in this space, some of us at home, that we are still very much connected with one another by the power of the Spirit of God. What a privilege it is for us to lead and love and worship in this way. But we're, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And week one, we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we tried to boil it down into two, two things that we learned about the Spirit of God. That when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we take on a new identity. In other words, the Spirit of God who dwells in us, Jesus said, my spirit will be in you. Paul said that you are sealed in the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit of God begins to tell a new story about who we are, right? That we're no longer the, the dead, decrepit, broken, sinful people through which we are condemned, right? But the Holy Spirit says, no, you're no longer that kind of person anymore. You are a new creation. You have the righteousness of Jesus covering you. You are the son and daughter of God. That's why he's called the spirit of adoption. He tells a brand new story. Also, we learned that baptism of the Holy Spirit means that the spirit of God leads and empowers the Christian to do ministry. And throughout the New Testament, you see both of those kinds of baptism of the Holy Spirit taking place, um, telling a new story and being led by the Spirit of God. And then last week, we saw Jesus get really, really angry, and it was kind of a, a window into the life of the Holy Spirit and identifying some qualities of the Holy Spirit that He has in the world and the life of the believer. And the first one is conviction of sin, right? Right? 
that just like Jesus walked into that temple angry and identifying all the sin and barriers and hurdles people had to get over to encounter God, he does the same thing in the life, uh, 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 even with the unbeliever, being able to say, gosh, there's so much mess in your life, and that mess condemns you. The Spirit of God convicts us. And as a believer, the Spirit of God also walks through uh, the alleyways and courtyards of our own life, and He identifies, got to do something about that. Uh, you got to do something about that. And sometimes He does pretty drastic things, and He kicks over tables, doesn't He? And He lets us know that doesn't belong in your life. And so those qualities we, about the Holy Spirit we've already identified. And this week, I'm going to tell you, I, I feel like uh, this passage of Scripture provides the cornerstone of the purpose and function of the Spirit of God in the life of the believer, in the life and mission of the church. So let's go there. We're going to read verses, uh, chapter one, John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. Let's listen to Blake Coffey. John 1, 29 through 34. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. Uh, thanks, Blake, uh, if you're watching right now, for helping us in worship. Um, and so here we have this testimony of John, um, of beholding the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in this testimony of John, this is no surprise to us, uh, we learn John's primary function as this kind of old prophet or a prophet of old, like the ones that we find in the Old Testament, of his purpose, of him being that voice crying out in the wilderness. But what is his primary function in crying out is to do what? Is to identify the chosen one, the Messiah, the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so remember, this is exactly what John says. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, He's the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. By the way, that is a nod back to John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is, this is John's testimony, a nod back uh, to John 1.1, 1, 1, that the Son of God existed with the Father for all time. Very different than John the Baptist, who was born um, and began a life at that moment. Jesus is very different. But he says, 
I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. John says, you know, the whole reason that God sent me out in the desert to invite people back into the wilderness to recognize their sin so that I would have the privilege that when the Son of God would come into the desert to be baptized, I would have the privilege to recognize him and to identify him as the Messiah to Israel. That was John's primary role, was to be that voice to say, this is the guy. Uh, This is the guy so many of you have been waiting for. This is the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was John's role. John is to Jesus as Samuel is to David. Y'all remember that story? Right? This is years after Saul has been king. Things aren't going well. Um, And God said, listen, I have another king, another king, a a man after my own own heart, but you've got got to go find him, and I'll tell you who he is when you see him. Samuel had no idea who he looked like. Right? He went all over the place and went to Jesse's house and all of his sons, and he had to wait for the Lord to identify This young man, David, that he, no one else thought David would be king. He was the youngest, the scrawniest. Um, But God told Samuel, this is the guy. Anoint him. Anoint him. So that he would eventually become king of all Israel and Judah. The same thing happens. God appointed John the Baptist to be on the search For the chosen one, the Son of God, who takes away the sin of the world, and he said, I'm going to send him to you, and I'm going to give you an identifying marker so that when you see him, you know exactly who he is, and you can begin to testify to the world, to Israel, that the Redeemer, the Messiah, has come. That's John's job. That's John's job. That's what he's telling us in his very testimony. But we also see here what I already mentioned, the cornerstone of the Holy Spirit's job. And we see also that in John's testimony. In verse 32, it says, John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon Jesus. I didn't know he was the one. In other words, when he just first showed up, he couldn't tell him the difference between this Jesus and other men, right? He didn't hear Jesus speak yet. He couldn't, he couldn't tell between the, all the other folks that are there until, until the Spirit of God descended upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And John says, I saw this happen to Jesus. So I testify that he is the chosen one of God. And so not only do we know John's main function as this wild prophet in the desert to identify the Messiah, we also discern the main cornerstone function of the Holy Spirit. What did God tell John the Baptist? You're going to know who the Messiah is when my spirit descends and rests upon his head. He says, I'm going to give you a marker, and my marker is the Holy Spirit. That's what my Spirit is going to do for you so that you can know who the Messiah is and so that you in turn can tell and testify to Israel. And so here we have 
I believe the cornerstone of the Holy Spirit's function and life of John the Baptist and the believer and the church, and that is to identify the Son, to glorify the Son. And what we discover, and this is not the time and place for this, but all that the Holy Spirit comes back to this cornerstone purpose, whether it's conviction of sin points to our need of the Messiah, whether it's in all the ways that the Holy Spirit gifts us or even the fruit of the Spirit and the ways that the Spirit of God leads us in and empowers us to ministry comes back to all of this, this cornerstone purpose that the purpose or job of the Holy Spirit is to manifest to us the glory of the Son. That's His role. And so in the same way that God says you're going to know the Messiah because the Spirit of God is going to descend, God also tells us and the church, they're going to know Jesus because the Spirit of God is going to manifest Him in your life, in word, in deed, because that's what the Spirit of God does. That's what the Spirit of God does. From conviction to redemption to sanctification, the Spirit's aim is to manifest the glory of the Son always. We find this in John 16, beginning in verse 10 and then verses 13 and 14. The verses before that, John is saying, listen, I've got to go, but it's to your advantage that I leave you. We'll actually mention those verses shortly. Um, And he says, but I'm going to send the advocate, the helper, and he is going to convict the world of sin. But he also says this. In verse 10, righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. This is is Jesus saying, you know, when I walked with you, you beheld my righteousness and my glory. But I'm going. You're not going to see me anymore. You want to know how righteousness is still going to be available for you to see? My spirit. My spirit will manifest my righteousness to you so that even though I am gone, you will be able to see my glory. And then he says in verses 13 and 14, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all of truth. The spirit of truth, hold on to that. He will not speak on his own, but the spirit will tell you what he has heard He will tell you about the future, the things to come. And then verse 14, the Spirit will bring me glory by telling you whatever He receives from me. And so the Spirit of God's cornerstone purpose for the life of the Christian and the ministry and testimony of the church is to put the spotlight on the Son. To bring him glory. That's what he does. That's what he does. And this purpose, this function lays the groundwork for our understanding of the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer, who he is and what he does. That's what he does. And all his various functions, it all comes back to this bringing glory to the Son. The Spirit of God manifests the glory of the Son. So why does this matter? Why does this matter to us? Why isn't it just something that we can allow just to happen behind the scenes? And well, and that's actually a really good truth too. 
um, that the Spirit of God is not always dependent upon you being aware of what He is doing um, because He will fulfill His purpose. But nonetheless, it's of great value for us to be able to know what the Spirit of God is doing. So why does it matter? Um, I believe it matters because revelation matters. In John 16, verses 7 through 8, it says this, In fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate or the helper won't come. If I do go away, then I will send the Holy Spirit to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So revelation matters. This kind of Holy Spirit revelation matters because without it, dead people can't open their eyes. Uh, Without it, blind people can't see. Distracted uh, people can't be... um, won't take notice. Our misguided people will always look to someone else, or the well-intentioned people will miss the boat, and the arrogant can't see past their own face. Without the Spirit of God, that kind of Holy Spirit-empowered revelation that this is the guy, this is the man who takes away the sins of the world, none of us, none of us are redeemed. No one comes to faith in Christ. No one No one experiences their forgiveness of sin and restoration with God apart from the Holy Spirit doing this kind of work, saying, look, behold the Son. I've convicted you of your sin. You're beginning to see how broken and sinful and what a rebel and enemy of God that you have been, and you're beginning to feel the tragedy and brokenness of that, and now I reveal to you the Son who takes all of that brokenness away. No one comes to redemption and faith in Jesus apart from this function of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit provides that proverbial tap on the shoulder. Take a look at Him. Take a look at the Son. He does for you what you can never do for yourself. If we go to John 14, 25 through 26, we also discover why revelation matters, why this Holy Spirit kind of revelation matters. It says this in verses 25 through 26, I'm telling you these things now while I am still with you. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples. I've said all this stuff to you while I'm still with you, alluding to the fact that he's going to be gone. But uh, when the Father sends the advocate as my representative... That is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I have told you. So here again, we have this Holy Spirit kind of revelation where Jesus says, you're not going to see me anymore. You're not going to hear my words anymore. But I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you so that you can continue to hear my words. He will teach you everything, and He will remind you of everything that I've told you. So when we ask the question, how in the world did the disciples write the Gospels or the epistles? Well, we say, well, they were inspired by the Spirit of God. Well, how did the Spirit of God inspire them? Well, Jesus said, well, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and I can't tell you everything you need to know now, but when He comes, when that Helper comes... 
He's going to perform that special function of manifesting my glory to you. And he's going to teach you brand new stuff. The words that I give to him, he will give to you. And he's going to bring to remembrance everything that I told you in the past so that you can put it down on paper. So this is why this kind of revelation is important. Without this kind of Holy Spirit revelation, the Bible has no authority. Right? The Bible has no authority. Um, a little over a year ago, I was listening to a Catholic radio station, and they had some really great apologetic stuff a lot of the time, except for this, this moment. And they were kind of rebutting the Protestants who really advocate for the authority and power of the Word of God, right? Um, and, of course, they were comparing that to the, the, the role that the church has to bring truth, right? And they kind of equate the two, the tradition of the church uh, and the Scripture. In some cases, it kind of bumps up towards the other. And he said this, uh, he said this, you know, at the end of the day, the Bible is just a book. If that's the case, it has zero authority, but we know that it has authority because Jesus says that when my apostles and even the Old Testament write down the words, they're not doing on their own accord, but they're doing it because the Holy Spirit has a function to manifest the glory of God, to speak the words that I speak and to bring to remembrance everything that I've already told you. And in so doing, it gives incredible authority to bring conviction of sin and redemption to those who hear it right? It's not just a book. By the power of the Spirit, it's the very words of God. Without this kind of Holy Spirit revelation, the Son of God, the church has no power to make disciples of all nations. What we find in this little testimony in John chapter 1 is the pattern that the Holy Spirit that God has ordained through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit manifests the Son to John the Baptist. John testifies and manifests the glory of the Son to Israel. And at Pentecost, right, we're all indwelt, those who believe, repent and believe, are indwelt by the very Spirit of God. And it's through that indwelling of the Spirit of God that the church begins to manifest the glory of the Son to the world. Without this function of the Holy Spirit to testify to the glory of the Son, the church has no power to make disciples. No power to make disciples. Y'all remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. This isn't long after that Pentecost moment where the Word of God tells us that Philip was led by the Holy Spirit to go into the desert and there he encountered that Ethiopian eunuch in his chariot. And what was the Ethiopian eunuch doing? He was reading the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit was beginning to prick his heart based upon passages he was reading in the book of Isaiah. And the Spirit of God giving Philip that gift of understanding and teaching of the Scriptures was able to approach him and give this eunuch understanding of what he is reading. And so Philip, being led by the Spirit of God, the Ethiopian eunuch being pricked by the Spirit of God through the reading of his word, and Philip being gifted by the Spirit of God to preach the gospel 
to this Ethiopian eunuch. The response of the Ethiopian eunuch is, what keeps me from being baptized today? And the only reason that the Ethiopian eunuch would have responded that way is if he had saw the manifestation of the glory of the Son through the power of the Spirit of God, through that beautiful pattern of being led by the Spirit, equipped by the Spirit, pricked by the Spirit, convicted by the Spirit, so that he can see and behold the very Son of God. Listen, the church loses all power and authority without the Spirit of God working the life of every believer to manifest the Son of God to a broken world. We can't make disciples without this cornerstone function of the Holy Spirit to manifest the glory of the Son. Without the Holy Spirit, it all falls apart. It just doesn't happen. But we're grateful. So much thanksgiving to be had that this The Son sent the Advocate to dwell with us. One last thing that um, I want to mention, a reason as to why this kind of Holy Spirit revelation matters to us. Um, John the Apostle tells us a very good reason, and it's connected to this cornerstone function. Um, In uh, John, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Listen to this. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. So this is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body. That person has the Spirit of God. Now, this is another history lesson here, but John was beginning to bump up into what we now call Gnosticism. And Gnostics hated the idea that Jesus was in the flesh because they thought all the flesh was bad stuff. It was evil. And so they kind of debunked in their own mind, uh, certainly Jesus wasn't a real body because God would not put the Savior of the world in a real body because it's evil. And certainly, uh, Jesus would not have uh, died on the cross and there's no need for a resurrection, maybe a spiritual resurrection, but not a uh, physical one. And so John is saying, you want to know how you can test the spirits as to whether or not they're speaking the truth or not? Use that litmus test of the function of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has the, the, the cornerstone function of saying, this is the Son. This is the Son in all of His glory, the incarnate Son of God, born of a virgin who grew up without sin, but died on the cross as a real man and as the Son of God for the sins of the world, so that in three days He would rise again from the grave and have victory over sin and death so that we can have forgiveness and everlasting life. That's the role of the Spirit of God, to to shed light and put the spotlight on the Son of God and all of His splendor and glory. And John says, you want to test all the different spirits of the world that will come and testify to you of all kinds of things and speak all kinds of truths to you. He says, the litmus tests is will they acknowledge the Son of God? Does that truth manifest the glory of God, the glory of the Son? And so John says, I, 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 uh, 
the Spirit of God is of great value to us in performing this function because revelation absolutely matters. But we can't be the church without the function of the Holy Spirit in that way. And then he says, you really can't discern and measure against the truths that the world will throw your way without understanding the function of the Spirit of God and that he will always manifest the glory of the Son rather than anything else. And so the question that we ask when we bump up against the philosophies and theologies of the world, whether it be a different religion or a different philosophical thought or ideology, we come back to it and say, does it manifest the glory of the Son? Does it point back to Jesus in some way? Does it shed light on the nature of the Son of God and what He's doing and what He has done and who He is and all of His glory? And so we ask things like this, does, does, does the spirit of racism, does the spirit of racism bring glory to the Son? Uh, does the, the spirit of uh, prejudice and bigotry bring glory to the Son? Does, does the spirit of unforgiveness bring glory to the Son? Does the spirit of that particular ideology bring glory to the Son? Does, does that way of the world bring glory to the Son? And listen, our world has a lot of things to say about truth, right? But the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. And John says, measure, measure, using that primary function of the Spirit of God to manifest the glory of the Son. Test everything against that. Because the Spirit of God won't, won't draw attention away from the Spirit of the Son. Paul says, don't be tossed around, but grow up in Jesus. He said that in Ephesians. And the way that we don't get tossed around is by relishing in this function of the Spirit of God to reveal the Son to us. And to measure the ways of the world by that revelation. Does your life, does your work, do your friendships, does your marriage manifest the glory of the Son? Isn't that way a way that we can figure out if we're living the life of the Spirit or not? Does it manifest the glory of the Son? Does it testify to who He is and what He's done? I sure hope so. And the promise of God through His Son by the power of the Spirit is that we will be conformed to the image of the... Who are we going to be conformed to the image of? Come on, folks, the Son. We're going to be conformed to the image of the Son. And um, we know that that's a process. And so I want you to pray along with me um, that we, by the power of the Spirit of God, will continue to manifest the glory of the Son in our life and all of our relationships and all of our doings and repent of the things that discredit Him and put the spotlight on other things. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word that we know that was inspired by your spirit so that we could behold, just like John beheld, your son in the Jordan River, so that we can say, look, this is the son. 
And Lord, help us to listen to the Spirit speaking your Son's words so that we might obey and follow. Lord, lead us to repentance in all the places that we don't testify to the glory of the Son, that we're not living a life led by the Spirit. Lead us to repentance. But most of all, open our eyes that we might see and savor and enjoy and follow Jesus in all of life. And all God's people said, amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.